What a beautiful anthem uh, the choir led us in this morning. Beautiful words, and I pray that you know that it's not just words on the screen, but it's the truth of God's Word that we proclaim. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 John. That's more toward the end of your Bible. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. We're going to get there in a few minutes, but 1 John chapter 1. We started a series a couple of weeks ago called Becoming a Great Church. And I would like to say that doesn't mean that we're not. And probably a better title would become be Becoming a Greater Church. Uh, the, in, implementing the things that God has taught us. That uh, he commands us and in, in instilling those things in our thoughts and our ways to become more of who he designed us to be. So two weeks ago, I shared three non-negotiables. A non-negotiable is simply that, that it's not up for, for debate. This is what God said, and therefore that's what we do. So the three non-negotiables that I mentioned, that we must each share the great confession. Uh, this, is, this is what we saw already. The great confession is that Jesus is Lord. And we must believe that to our very core. He must be in that role in our life and he must be in that, that role in our church. We must also live out the great commandment. That is to love God fully with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. But it's also to love others as yourself. And to obey the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that God has taught us. Now, if, if we choose to not do any of those three, we're choosing a path of rebellion. And the reason why I say that is because God said, this is what my church will do. This is what my people will do. And, and if we look at that and say, well, I'm comfortable with two of those, but not the third. Or I'm pretty good on the first one, but the other two, you know, maybe one day. If we're not committed to doing the very things that God said to do, we will not become a greater church. We will forever be where we've always been. And my desire, and I pray it's your desire too, is to not only experience more of God, but to be more like God. To be on His mission and to participate in His ministry. Last week we learned that a great church must know Jesus and worship him in spirit and in truth. Today we turn the page to another area. We see that a great church will fellowship together. And I know if you're, if you're like me, that, that when you hear the word fellowship, like any great Baptist, we think of food. And we think uh, there's going to be a gathering of food and there's going to be a gathering of people around the food and we're going to share with each other. We'll have great fellowship time. It could be an ice cream social. It could be a women's fellowship or something of that nature. And I enjoy those things. And there is a place for those things. And I would just say that those encounters are essential to the life of the church as we reach others for Christ. It's, it's so, so much different to say, hey, why don't you come to my backyard for a, ba a barbecue than it is to get someone into the doors of a church if they don't understand what happens here or they don't understand the people here. 
And some people are just scared. And I understand that. So we participate in fellowships. And in participating in fellowships, we also learn common interests. And in learning common interests, we begin to grow together. So it's important that we fellowship. Uh, one Sunday school class that I, I've recently been in has on the whiteboard. There, there will be a class social in February. That's being intentional. That's saying we're going to get together. We're going to fellowship together outside of our regular time. And that's important that we do that. If you're not in a small group, this would be a great day to begin. I firmly believe that the church cannot grow if we're not connected with each other. As much as I like what happens together in corporate worship, this is not discipleship. Discipleship happens in the small group. And you need to be in the small group. I enjoy going to a Sunday school. I enjoy sitting with other believers and talking through Scripture with one another. And we need to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you have not found a small group, we would be glad to help you find one today. If you are in a small group, I would challenge you to schedule a fellowship. And I know that we have one today. I know that uh, we had probably many during Christmas. And that's good. But let's be mindful this way, that we would schedule a fellowship so that we can invite neighbors, friends, co-workers, those who have not been around in a while, just to say, hey, we love you and we want to be with you. Let's hang out together. The Greek word that is translated as fellowship means to have in common. It means to participate and it means to willingly contribute. So in other words, you could say that fellowship is a reciprocal relationship where we are all contributing, we are all participating, and we have things in common with one another. This is why we have different fellowships, different small groups. We have uh, young marrieds. We have older seasoned adults. We have everything in between. We have children. We have youth. We have college. We have young professionals. And there's a reason because there is a commonality that bonds that group together. And it allows them to grow together. So you need to find a place within God's church where you are participating, not just listening, but you're participating and willingly contributing to the life of others. That's what fellowship is in one aspect. Now we can agree that the benefits of having fellowship events are important, important to the life of the church, but we must share in a deeper fellowship in order to become a greater church. This morning we're going to learn about having fellowship not only with God, but with the one in whom he gives testimony. And that when we have fellowship with him, we can have fellowship with each other. Genuine fellowship. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And let me just say before I read this, as you're turning there, typically when I teach a passage, I'll start at the beginning and I'll just work my way through it. This particular passage lends to a different kind of teaching. Um, 
it's all in there. It's just not systematic. So it might be verse 1, verse 3, verse 2, but you'll understand what I'm saying when I'm teaching about it, okay? So 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the first one, if you're following in the outline, the first element is God's testimony about Jesus. God's testimony of Jesus. God has carefully and clearly proclaimed who Jesus is throughout his word so that we can place our faith in him for salvation. Now, if God did not clearly proclaim who Jesus was, it would be left up to us to decide who we want to follow and what he looks like. See, some of us have an idea, and I hope you do, have an idea of who Jesus is. But there might be others who have developed or created your own Jesus, who you want him to be. Whether you believe or whether you say one thing that's in uh, contradiction to someone else, Jesus does not change. See, he's not a manifest of our beliefs in him. He is who God said he is, and we will either trust him or we won't. We place our faith in him alone for salvation, and there is simply no other way. God said, Jesus is the word of life. Wednesday night, we dug into that a little bit deeper to understand what it means to be the word of life. We'll touch on that a little bit this morning. Broadly defined, the the Greek word logos means word or reasoning. And that's where we get the word as in word of life. But in this context of scripture, logos means the mind of God that is expressed through Jesus. That is the reasoning and that's mind, his reasoning. But we're specifically talking about Jesus. So there's a relationship here that he is the mind of God that's expressed physically to us. Said it another way, you could say, as the word, Jesus is the perfect revelation of God's mind and God's ways to all humanity. The Greek word translated as life is zoe, zoe, and it is the divine life that is uniquely God's. Wednesday night, we talked about the different words used for life. There's a physical life, the the behavior of your day-to-day world. There's also the soul life, and that's what we know as life and death. But then there is eternal life, and that is the Zoe, Zoe life. 
Therefore, God's testimony of Jesus is that he is the perfect physical representation of God's mind, his character, and his ways to all of humankind. But he is also eternal life for those who will place their faith in him for salvation. In this passage, God also said that Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus was from the beginning. And for for this, just as an explanation, if we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses here. First four verses. We know that Jesus is the Word. He's the Word of life. But now listen to it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And He... Or And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So from this passage, we see that Jesus is eternal. This is the testimony of God concerning Jesus. So that that parts us from many beliefs about Jesus in the world today. Some will say he was a, a really good prophet. He was a great godly man. He was a good teacher. It was unfortunate what happened to him so many years ago to be crucified as an innocent man. But when God gives testimony to him, it's that Jesus is eternal. And that's important that we would understand because only the divine could offer salvation. It comes in no one else. We also see here that the word was with God. But what else does it say there? The word was with God and the word was what? God. So now we're, we're saying, okay, there's a dilemma here. If he was just a good guy, if he was just a good prophet, how could he possibly be God? Well, our human mind's trying to rationalize this. We say, well, he must have been God the Father in the Old Testament, and then then God the Son when he was born in Bethlehem, and then after he was ascended, then he became God the Spirit. That's three different persons. That's not what God teaches in fact, in Genesis 1-1, you can find all three at the same time. So that kind of falls away, doesn't it? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That's a plural form. Elohim, God the Father, who was creating. The Holy Spirit, who was hovering. And now we learn that nothing was created but that which was created by him, Jesus The word who was with God and who was God and who was in the beginning with him. So he was God. And you might say, well, you know, that means he's not anymore. I would say if he was God, God is unchanging. Therefore, he is still God and he will be forevermore with God's mind, God's character and who he is. Jesus created all things. And Jesus is life. God said also that Jesus was made manifest. That means to reveal, to to allow you to see something. The divine life that is unique to God was made visible to mankind through Jesus. We just celebrated the birth of Christ. 
We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ, which was the fulfillment of God's promises, the plan of redemption for mankind. But between that time, between the the birth of Christ and the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, Jesus lived purposefully day after day to represent God. This is the way God thinks. This is the way God behaves. This is the way God acts. Why does he do that? He tells us in his word, I do only what God says. I go only where God says to go. And that is a model for you and me. Jesus, who is the physical representation of God here on earth, showed us how to live for God. And that should be our trajectory to move our lives in this way. God said Jesus is eternal life. When Jesus said in uh, John 10.10 that I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, that word is the eternal life. It is not the physical life. It's not the benefits of life. It's not the behavior of life. It is eternal life. And it wasn't because that he, he, he didn't say, I, I give them life as, as if he had a, a pocket full of tickets. And if you were faithful, he'd give you a ticket to eternal life that, so that you get into the golden gates. That's not what that means. He's, he's not giving something away. He's giving himself. Jesus is eternal life. And therefore, if you know him, you have eternal life, a personal relationship with him. Believing in the death and resurrection, believing the the words of, of God's word, but not placing your faith in him fully, trusting in his work for salvation does not earn you salvation. You can believe the stories, you can believe the accounts of God's word and not place your faith in Jesus Christ and go to hell. If you're not committing yourself to the ways of God, you have not followed him and you're still not following him. And that brings us to the point of, am I simply gaining knowledge of Jesus through my attendance, through my service at at church? Or do I know Jesus? Do I have a personal relationship with him? Do I know that he speaks to me? Do I know that he has given me the spirit of God within me? Is he changing me? We receive eternal life when we confess Jesus as Lord and believe what God says about him in his word. Number two in your outline, John's testimony. John's testimony of Jesus. Now, according to United States law, a witness is a person who saw or heard a crime and offers evidence as testimony as to what they saw or heard. If you did not witness the crime, what you think doesn't matter in the court of law. If you did not witness the crime, you do not have evidence of testimony. It's only by that which you have experienced. So in this passage, John said, we have heard. We have heard. They heard the testimony about Jesus through the scriptures that they they had grown up with. They heard the testimony of Jesus by the life of Jesus himself. They have heard the testimony of Jesus at this point through the Holy Spirit as he reminds them everything that they have been taught. 
Since all these sources originate from God, then the testimonies of Jesus agree with one another. We're not creating something that we have to guess is Jesus. God tells us who Jesus is. And that is John's testimony. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is eternal. That Jesus is God. John said, we have seen him. And that word in Greek is more than just perceiving. It is seeing and understanding. It's it's like putting the pieces together. They walked with Jesus. They heard Jesus. And then Jesus would say something or he would teach something and another piece would fall into place. And And it continued to do so until that conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Who do you say I am? And, and Peter said, you, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah, which is a declaration of you are God. You are the anointed one of God. You are the one who's bringing salvation. And Jesus said, you're right. But you know what? You didn't figure that out on your own. That comes from God. And that is a confession of what you know to be true because God spoke it to your heart. They witness the identity of Christ, hearing his teaching and then seeing live out what he says. You see, we, we all give testimonies in our lives, every one of us. It's either a good testimony or a bad one. We say that we're Christians. We say that we love God. We say that we follow God and then we treat each other terribly. Or we gossip or we steal It doesn't match up. So someone who's on the outside saying, but you said you were this, but you're acting like this. That's called a hypocrite, right? That's a bad testimony. Jesus was not a bad testimony. He did what he said. And the disciples could see this. John said, we have looked upon him. That means to observe continuity between the word and the life of Jesus. Pieces have come together. It's an accurate description of encountering the living God. See, that Greek word also means to witness something unusual. See, Jesus was not normal. He was supernatural as a man. This is unusual to see him. God is unchanging. He's uncommon. He's extraordinary. He is the summation of everything that we're searching for in life today. Here's a list, and it's a short list. He's the answer to your question. Whatever you're burdened with, he is the answer. In any counseling session you go to of someone who's a believer of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the answer always. Your relationship with him. If you're having difficulties in a relationship, the first question is... How much time are you spending in God's Word? How much time are you spending in prayer? That's where it begins. And that's what impacts the rest of our lives. He is the peace in your storm. Have you been in a storm? Have you been in a storm lately? Or if you haven't been, there's probably one coming. But if if you've been in a storm, aren't you thankful that there's peace in the midst of the storm? That you can walk with Jesus through that storm? I'm perplexed these days at how people can go through the things that we've had to go through in the last couple of years without Jesus. I don't know how they do it. He's the strength in your weakness. 
I confess that I'm weak. And by testimony of God's word, let me just tell you, you are as well. But he is your strength. He is the one that you can draw on. He's the light in your darkness. He is the hope for your fears. And without error, God's word consistently proclaims the testimony of Jesus Christ. We know who he is. John said, we have touched him. Now, it's one thing for someone to say they heard about Jesus. You can attend a worship service and hear about Jesus. It's another thing for someone to say that they witnessed and understood the word and life of Jesus. That's going to a deeper level. But there's something else to be said about someone who says, I have touched Jesus. That's unusual, isn't it? That brings something concrete into the picture because it's no longer a hearsay. Jesus was physically present on this earth and John encountered him throughout Jesus' ministry, through his crucifixion and through his resurrection. He experienced him. And there were others too. I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul said about the resurrected Christ. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Those lives that encountered the living Christ were changed. They were changed forevermore. They encountered the perfect physical revelation of the mind of God, Jesus Christ. That is his testimony. And then he says in in this passage that we proclaim to you. Now, this is where it, it begins to get personal with you and me. What do you do with something when you've experienced it and it's life changing? What, what are you compelled to do? What do you want to do? And, and I would say that you want to announce it to anyone who would listen. This is life-changing. I don't know if you've ever been part of the pyramid scheme, but for the moment when when you're starting out, it's really exciting. And you want everyone else to be excited because the more they're excited, the more you get, right? And it's a trap every time for me. So I don't do it anymore. You shout it from the mountaintop because this is good news. This is a game changer. It is a life changer. You tell others when they're in a storm. I've been through a storm and I've had the peace of God and I want to tell you who Jesus is in the midst of your storm. I want you to have the same peace that I have. You inform those who ask and you share it with those that you love. Really, if we have experienced life change and we're unwilling to share it with the people that we love, do we really love them? Do we really want them to not experience what we have experienced? A relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ that secures eternal life. Do you not want to share that with somebody? 
If you've never encountered Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you must listen to the testimony of God concerning Jesus Christ and the testimonies of those around you who have experienced Him. Number three, fellowship through the testimony of Jesus. Fellowship through the testimony of Jesus. So in this passage is listed three results. First and most importantly, that you would have fellowship with the Father and His Son. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, that's Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So if you missed it, in the midst of all the words, let me clarify. An eternal relationship with God through Jesus is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit that is given you that will never be revoked. It secures. This is God's guarantee, which means it will happen. Now, man's guarantee, not so much. But this is God's guarantee by the Holy Spirit. If you hear and believe the testimony of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Done. Nothing that you can do. Nothing that you deserve. But it's everything that Jesus has done on your behalf. See, without Jesus, there's zero chance. There's not a a, a measure of good and bad. Where you're going to be held to account and say, well, you've, you've made it just barely. You're, no one here is going to make it just barely if you have Jesus. You're going to be blazing through the gates of heaven because of Jesus. There will be no question on this side and as you enter into eternal life. Without Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you remain an enemy of God and a child of rebellion. The second benefit of believing God's testimony about Jesus is that you have fellowship with other believers. Every follower of Christ has this in common. We have been born again. We have been regenerated. That means death to life. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are hidden in Christ We are in possession of the Holy Spirit. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ who live forgiven and are secured by God's irrevocable gift of salvation. We have that in common. And because we have that in common, God can be glorified through a diverse people. Have you ever come across someone else who's a believer that you never met before? And you immediately feel a brotherhood or a sisterhood with them? There's a commonality. That commonality is called the Holy Spirit. And it's something that we walk in in the confidence of what He's promised that has been secured by Him. And He reminds us of what Jesus has said. 
Together we commit ourselves to him. Together we listen to him. Together we obey him. And since God is unchanging and never contradicts himself, a church that follows him will also follow him together in missions and in ministry. The third element, the third benefit that you receive from believing the testimony of God concerning Jesus is that you will have joy. Joy is that mystery word that's so often used in in Scripture and in churches today. It is evident in the life of a believer in the midst of a storm when their lives are falling apart and they have joy. How is that possible? Just as Jesus is life, just as Jesus is the testimony, Jesus is also the reason for joy. So there's no circumstance in your life that you might feel overwhelmed. There is no circumstance in your life that changes what God did for you. And I know we have difficulty. I know we have challenges in life. But do not forget what God has already done for you. Do not forget what he has already promised you. Do not forget what is ahead of you today in the glory of heaven. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I agree. I mean, I'm aware we're going to have illness and we're going to have disease and we're going to have pain We're going to deal with rejection. We're going to deal with hurt. We're going to deal with grief. But through Jesus, in the midst of that, you still possess the irrevocable gift of God that provides intimate fellowship with the living God through Him. How could we possibly be broken over that? 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says... Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know or you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we become a great church as we hear and believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus. We become a great church when we experience fellowship with him. We become a great church when we share in fellowship with one another with great joy. And even though we come from various backgrounds and experiences, we have this in common. Jesus is the word of life. He is our salvation. This is meant to be a message of encouragement. It reminds you that God loves you no matter where you are. And for some of you, no matter how far you've run, no matter matter the decisions that you've made, no matter how much you've cursed God, He loves you. And he proved that love by sending his son to be a perfect representation of him in his mind and his ways. To fulfill his plan of redemption. That he would die in your place because of your sin against God. That's incredible. 
He loves you that much. Knowing God through Jesus provides you with a testimony that's meant to be shared. And I pray that we receive that challenge today as believers. If you have not done so already, it is time to commit to a fellowship of believers. It's important to be part of a family, not just an attender. But to be in fellowship, you are a participant. You're a willing contributor to the body of Christ. You do that as a member of the body of Christ. And maybe you have visited before, but today is the day that you become part of the fellowship. Believe his testimony about Jesus. See, God's calling you to himself. Believe his testimony of who Jesus is, not who other people have said. What did God say? Who is Jesus? He's God. He's God in the flesh. He is your salvation. He is eternal life. He is your testimony. He is the light. He is the overcomer. He is what you need for forgiveness. There is no other way this morning. So believe God's testimony about Jesus and the testimony of the many around you this morning and come to Him. We have an incredible opportunity and unfortunately it always comes down to time to be part of something greater than what the world has to offer us requires sacrifice. And it's to sacrifice the ways of the world for the ways of God. And as God invites us into his church, he builds his church. He sets the vision for the church. He he shows the mission of the church and the ministry of the church. And then he equips every believer, every follower of Jesus through his Holy Spirit to serve. And if you're not serving in some capacity, you're missing out on an element of what it means to fellowship. We are all in common. We we contribute. We all in common participate. It's not a spectator sport. This is the family of God. That Jesus is the head in whom we follow. And I pray that you will be encouraged by God's word today. If nothing else, that you have a testimony to share with someone else about how great God is. And what he's done in your life. We're going to have a time of invitation right now. Uh, and maybe, maybe the invitation for you this morning is your commitment to God, your commitment to the ways of God. Maybe you've sat back for far too long and it's time to step up. Maybe it's to answer God's call to you right now. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe it. I've just never surrendered to it. Would you come today? Let's pray together and then respond to our Lord. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the fellowship that we receive through Jesus Christ. That leads us into the throne room of heaven. That leads us to a place where we can call you father and you call us child. That you place us with your son Jesus. That that we would be co-heirs with all that you have. Lord, I'm thankful that you see beyond the errors of our ways, that you've provided a way of forgiveness.
And Lord, we just stand before you humbly with thanksgiving. Thanking you for the fellowship that we have with you, but also for the fellowship that we have with each other. And I pray that you would draw us closer. Lord, that you would grow us in a way spiritually that we would experience genuine fellowship in the house of the Lord. Lord, if you've reached out to anyone this morning, you've touched their heart, I pray that they would respond to you right now. That they would know you for salvation. Believing your testimony in Jesus Christ. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing. This is an invitation. You're invited to come. The altar is open. I'm here to speak with you or pray with you if you need me. But come now as God leads you.